Hello and welcome to the Osdroid Mobile World Congress podcast. This is episode four. We are recording live on Tuesday, February 28th. This is probably actually going to be the last the last night that the three of us are together. I'm Jason. I'm joined by Chris and Duncan. We are here in Osdroid HQ in Barcelona, which is fancy speak for an Airbnb apartment. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, but it's, it's served us well. It has. It's done well. We've, uh, we've experienced things, we've had moments, and uh, it's, it's coming to a bit of an end. Uh, it is. You guys are leaving tomorrow night. You're leaving me all alone in Barcelona, but uh, I may still be able to churn out a podcast. We'll see. Uh, we might do a bit of a Mobile World Congress uh, podcast in review. As, um, as is becoming an Osdroid tra- tradition, we will be putting up another journalist in the place tomorrow after you leave. <laughs> that is, my, uh, that is my, my laptop that needs to be turned off. All right. So it is. Uh, it is Tuesday, February twenty eighth. Today, Chris went and hunted some zombies in fi- in VR on a five G connection. Uh, Duncan and I attended an Android One product launch from a Turkish company called General Mobile, and Duncan went and spoke with Gumi Hafsteinson. Or uh, I've probably put the. Uh, I've probably mangled that in translating it to Australian. It's probably Hafsteinson or Hafsteinson or something like that. Um, Doing very well. We're probably going to be uninvited from everything Google related in the future because of that mangling of the name. It's gone well early for the podcast tonight. So, guys, how was Mobile World Congress day two? Uh, certainly for me, it was a little bit more relaxed. We had uh, fewer commitments today. Um, so it gave us the opportunity to uh, roam the halls, as it were. Um, so you two could go and collect pins um, <laughs> and attend to other engagements. Um, I went and roamed the uh, far halls, uh, which are those that aren't one, two, and three. The Wild West, I think. The Wild West, yeah. uh, which is where all the uh, wild, weird, and wonderful uh, exhibitors have their stuff. Uh, but we really didn't find any standout weird products this year. Um, there was lots of lots of people talking about mobility, security, IoT, five G, um, and after a while, walking around, my eyes basically glazed over. There was nothing really remarkable amongst it. I mean, we saw a few special treats here and there, um, a couple of smartwatch uh, vendors um, that were doing some um, interesting things, one in particular, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute, called Micronos. Um, but look, the rest of the halls, it reminds me... Did it all become of, a bit samey after a while? I think everybody... It, it, it really reminds you, once you get out of the main halls, just how much of a trade show it is. It's people clamouring to find... Um, customers for their wares, uh, not unlike you know a fresh fruit market, really, um, mm. complete with people literally yelling at you, trying to get you to come and look at their stuff. Um, so is, it, is it kind of like walking through a shopping mall in Shenzhen? Uh, having not done that, oh. <laughs> um, I have walked through a shopping mall in um, Singapore though, and that was equally confronting. <laughs> I, believe, people... I, I believe I sent you there. You did, yes. um, Sim Square. Um, interesting place to buy all sorts of weird and wonderful technology. So, in other words, it's just like Hall 6 at Mobile World Congress. Yeah. Our search for pins sent us deep to within all of the halls. Um, that's part of the idea, to get people to make sure they go all over. And I have to admit, you know, I never... I, I saw nothing there that it was like, oh, wow, yes, you know, this is new, this is different. Um, a lot of IoT, like Chris said, like, if there was a buzz here, it had to be IoT. 
Um, you know, it was a cloud a couple of years ago. It's all IoT now, you know. Well, it's still kind of the cloud. I mean, Huawei's taken up half of one of the halls and they've got they've got this massive, um, it's, it's their cloud um, display, like their consumer mobile stuff is completely elsewhere. But they've got literally got clouds floating above the display. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. That actually kind of segues nicely into, into the first, uh, our first topic, which was your zombie hunt, zombie hunt in uh, 5G, Chris. Indeed. So How did this work? I found myself um, invited to a tour of Huawei's enterprise business group uh, stand. Now, calling it a stand is a bit of a misnomer. This thing literally... It's it an acre. It's the size of a city block, mm. um, and it has everything that a city block has. Cafes, bars, meeting rooms... Um, countless uh, products to have a look at, a full-fledged buffet restaurant out the back. Um, there was very little it didn't have. It was one of the few stands that actually had its own plum toilets. It, sound, it sounds like you were actually you actually ate better than Duncan and I today. Uh, I don't know about better, but I certainly <laughs> ate. Um, look, credit where credit's due. The food in Huawei's booth was delicious, and I got to tick off my Spanish paella box, um, mm-hmm. which really wasn't as much as I thought it would be. Um, but look, I expected to be, uh, let's face it, I expected not to really see anything of interest to anybody. Um, the enterprise business group is big on 5G, IoT, um, their uh, enterprise solutions, their solutions for government, carriers, all that sort of stuff, which really wasn't very exciting. Um, but some of the things that caught my eye, um, they explained in very simple terms how uh, their narrow band Internet of Things uh, solution works and what it actually means. Um, in essence, they can put a tiny chipset, which is probably about the size of an Australian postage stamp and not much thicker, um, in just about anything. Um, and it gives it cellular connectivity for anywhere from 10 to 30 years, um, <laughs> wow. which um, can communicate over cellular networks back to the base station. So where they're using this at the moment, um, southeast water in Victoria, which covers the Frankston sort of side of the peninsula, um, they're using this to roll out smart water meters. Um, not only to customer premises, but also to uh, places along uh, the pipeline so they can detect leaks uh, before it becomes a huge problem. Yeah, this, so this was actually something that Telstra was talking about the other day as well. They, they were, in fact, it's probably quite, it's probably related to what Huawei is uh, saying. It, it is and it's not. Um, Funnily enough, the Telstra are following, the, yeah, they're following yeah. the North American standard, which I think was called Cat1, something yeah, like that. Cat, category M1. Yeah. Cat M1, that's it. Whereas Optus and Vodafone are going down the narrowband IoT path, which is what Huawei um, hmm. are backing. And they seem to think that that will be the de facto standard here. Um, so, I mean, while the standards are different, like the applications are still the same. The applications are identical. Um, yeah, you can power um, your smart meters. You can put sensors in, in. Sensors go into buildings, and that's where, like, I guess the thirty-year battery life that's right. comes from um, as well. If you install a piece of equipment, you don't want to have the labour costs of replacing batteries every, you know, however. And basically, that means that these devices, you know, from a com- comms perspective at least, they don't need to be powered. Um, so, for your water meter, um, which you know, I don't know exactly how they're doing this without a power connection, but it seems that they are. Um, same for power meters. Also, um, I've, I've, wondered, I've wondered how our smart how our smart electricity meters work. Well, they're plugged um, into electricity, um, so they get I mean, the power. I guess they, that they actually have electricity <laughs> flowing right through them. But I mean, like you've got gas meters as well, so like they're not necessarily getting electricity for them. So you know, no, it could be similar. There's a lot of questions there, and I suppose it's an area where we 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 really don't have the expertise, but the the stuff that they're doing um, is quite interesting. The other example I gave was uh, Shanghai Disneyland, 
um, where they've used IoT in their parking bay so that when you enter the parking structure, it knows where the first available spot is and the signage throughout will actually guide your vehicle to the first available parking oh. spot. So no labour costs, um, fewer equipment issues and happier customers because they know straight away there's a spot for them and they'll be guided straight to it. So I thought that was cool. Um, but and then, then they took me to a different area. <laughs> um, I'm not one to make a fool of myself in front of others except when recording a podcast. Um, and I was offered the opportunity to try a 5G VR demo. Now, my head almost popped off with uh, buzzword overload, but um, very quickly they explained that I would be in VR firing a gun, blowing up zombies, and I thought, you know what, that's me. Um, so I jumped in the middle of this uh, little arena, which was probably the size of a Hard to say. It's probably about twenty meters across, circular sort of thing. You stand in the middle. Um, just yeah, just the average person in his living room, right? Well, <laughs> for those who don't dwell in apartments, um, chuck on the goggles, um, grab your uh, modified training Glock pistol. It turned out to be, um, and put on the earphones and go nuts, blowing things up. Now, not only was it terrifying, um, it was a lot of fun, um, but the technology behind it was actually really cool. They used um, basically a prototype I suppose 5G um, wireless connection which did a number of things it streamed the video to the headset it was a, a dumb headset if you like it streamed 360 degree imagery to the headset in real time um, it used an array of probably a dozen uh, cameras to motion capture where you were in this space and translate into the game movement again in real time um, and also to track the position of your gun um, around uh, in this arena as well. So all of this data was flying around and we were told that you know something in the order of gigabits of data per wow. second to yeah. make this happen and all of it uh, was over 5G wireless. So in theory, and again it's a bit of a stretch, hmm. um, in four or five years time when 5G is commonplace, um, you need only have a dumb headset and a few other odds and ends and you can stream fully interactive VR experiences like this wherever you happen to be, whether it's at home, at your friend's place, in the middle of the street. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a return to the, the mainframe architecture in a way, isn't it? In a roundabout way, it is. I mean, the computing has to be done somewhere. I mean, in this case, it was done just a few metres away. Hmm. Um, but I suppose, you know, this ties in nicely with the push to cloud computing and centralising everything where, you know, your next gaming system could be nothing more than, you know, a headset and a comm system. Um, and the actual grunt is done in a data center somewhere else. I mean, this, so that, like that's not a new idea. We're seeing this. We're seeing this now on some streaming apps for Chromebooks as well. It, we're seeing it with Google Instant Apps for Android too. It makes me think of you know everything old is new again. You know, you go back 10, 15, 20 years before we had the internet. We had bulletin board systems where you could access content, games, communication through a dumb terminal. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems as if that's where we're kind of headed again, except instead of transferring things at you know 2400 board, we're transferring things at sort of 2.4 gigabits a second. It's it's like an order of magnitude. <laughs> it's a, a number of orders yeah. of magnitude. It is ridiculous. Um, and I, I was blown away by that. It was, at, without doubt, probably my experience at the show. It's fantastic. It's these sort of networks we really need. I mean, those who have the NBN or don't have the NBN would either have crap connection or um, God knows what connection if they've managed to get the NBN and what, what they're on. And it, it's, you know, it's not a deal for many people. Uh, and now that's it. It's it and it's fixed. It's whatever speed it's going to be. I don't see them 
coming back with a new set of trucks in a, in a couple of years and starting all again to get us better speeds. No. So I really think in the, the vast geographic populations, it is going to be the wireless technology. And if you look at something like NVIDIA's game streaming service, where it is a supercomputer in the cloud, several of them in fact, and you can play any top-of-the-line game that you want and it streams it to you. But for that to work, you need the bandwidth and you need no latency. That's right. And that, in a nutshell, I mean, 5G is far from settled, but that is that is what 5G offers, basically sub-10 millisecond latency to any uh, mobile terminal, whether that's a computer, uh, IoT device, anything really. Um, and bandwidth, you know, measured not in megabits, but gigabits, uh, which is something that, theoretically the fibre NBN in Australia may be able to deliver. But they have to scale up some of the uh, equipment in order to do that, though. Probably all of it, mm-hmm. but the reality I mean, is... The, well, Telstra is talking about updating their backhaul, their, their fibre backhaul from uh, from uh, 100 to 1,000. Yeah. Well, they're going to have to anyway. I mean, as part of the NBN, they're going to be upgrading all of this stuff, and it ties in nicely to um, the 5G networks. It's all going to use the same sort of communication channels. It's just that last mile, yeah. um, and in this case... There's, you know, unique challenges for Australia, which we've heard about, you know, Telstra wanting to get standards changed so that um, 5G can cope adequately with our uh, gum trees, for example. <laughs> um, it's all up in the air, and 5G has probably been one of the huge topics um, of this conference, uh, with vendors working amongst each other, trying to w- sort of thrash out what 5G will look like. Um, but for us, um, and certainly for our audience, we probably don't care about the nitty-gritty we care about, you know, what is it going to be? When are we going to get it? What will it let us do? And the 5G uh, VR demo I had today, you know, it's it's a bit of fun, but it's sort of demonstrated in a, in a real practical way um, just what this future could look like. Um, for those that would like to watch me humiliate myself, um, we do have a little video um, of me spinning around in VR, shooting zombies, looking like a right twat. So um, I hope you'll all enjoy that. So something else that we um do, this this will be quite the quite the gear shift really but uh, something else that we saw we saw this last night the uh, the Micronos watch um, we saw at the uh, Pepcom event which we spoke briefly about it but I don't think we were really ready to talk about the watch and gather some thoughts on that but uh, it was actually a watch that you want you went into the event wanting to go and see and I, it's true I yeah, made a note to so actually see these guys last year now this was last year they were just doing smartwatches there was nothing sort of really stand out about them, except they had some really cool designs. Mm. Um, this year, uh, going with that theme of everything old is new again, um, they've built a smartwatch that actually has uh, mechanical hands in it. Um, in a nutshell, you can opt to turn the smart features off and leave the mechanical hands running, and your smartwatch will last for, I think, about a month. Um, but if you turn them both on, you get a watch which lasts for about three days, Um, When the smart screen is off, the mechanical hands still continue to work and tell you the time. Um, It uses smart features, so if you cross time zones, the hands will automatically move to adjust to where you are, so it will tell you the local time, which is a cool feature. Um, And it pairs with Android, iOS, and even Windows Phone, they were telling us. Um, Pairs with what? For those six people that still use Windows Phone. They're not not listening. They're probably not ever going to listen to this, but they can use this They don't have a podcast app. They don't. I'm not sure they have SoundCloud. Not sure they even have Bluetooth, but yeah. um, just like BlackBerry fans, their um, last great bland, band brand is now making Android. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> True. Um, so this this is an interesting watch, the Micronos uh, Z Time. It is. I think they're planning for a launch in about six months. It's really just at the concept stage at the moment. 
I thought I thought the best way of explaining it last night when when I, I walked up to the stand and, and Duncan said they've taken an AMOLED screen, they've taken a round AMOLED screen, drilled a hole in it, and stuck clock hands on it, which is basically what they've done. Mm-hmm. Except as we find out reading the press kit that we received today, it is actually an LCD. It's not an AMOLED, sadly. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> look, it's a promising uh, product. We've got some photos of the watch up on the website or going up on the website shortly. Um, I tried to get a bit more time uh, with uh, my Chronos guys today just to sort of find out a bit more about what they're doing, but they were rather busier, I thought, than most of their competitors uh, and other um, exhibitors nearby, showing that perhaps they might be onto something. Um, So I certainly um, look forward to seeing more uh, from my Chronos, and even though they're not sort of specifically shipping into Australia, they do have a web store, so if you like their products, you can order them. Um, and they will show up. And I think they, I think they watch. You, so you, we've got some, we've got some information on it going up on the site. And I think that's up for pre-order, is it? Or uh, not yet. No? Uh, but there are other products uh, on the website. They're more traditional smart products, which you can get into, and they have all the normal features of smart watches: your step and sleep and activity trackers, notifications. Um, probably best to think of them as something like a really souped-up Pebble. Um, yeah. Not quite as integrated as Android Wear, but. And um, not acquired by Fitbit yet. Not acquired by Fitbit yet. They might well be. Uh, they <laughs> you make never a, know. If you ask me, they make a better watch than Pebble. But um, the unique um, feature that they had in their other smartwatches, and probably the new one as well, was their own payment solution. Now, I thought, this is going to be pretty limiting. You know, surely Yeah, we, 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 we went into this conversation not actually expecting the answer that we got. We were well and truly surprised. In Harmony, we all said, yeah, and which banks are going to support this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out the answer is all banks. Uh, because what they've done, they've actually, rather than partnering with banks, they've partnered with MasterCard. Um, so in each of their compatible watches is actually a contactless credit card, which you can uh, reload from whichever funding source you'd like uh, online. Um, and it basically operates as a prepaid credit card. So you can walk, whether you're in Australia, America, anywhere that supports contactless payments, you can just hold your watch up to the terminal and pay um, as long as there's money in your card. Um, yeah. And it... You know, as cool as Android Pay is, um, <laughs> these guys have come up with a really simple solution to a complex problem and, you know, credit where credit's due, that's thinking outside the box. I, think, I, I mean, I think part of the problem that Android Pay has is that it's trying to bring credit cards to devices that don't have them built in, whereas the what, what Micronos is actually do is actually able to say, right, well, we control this hardware and... We put in there what we like. Yeah. Um, so, you know, credit where credit's due. It's probably the most unique, apart from the 5G VR experience, which I couldn't possibly take home, um, the Micronos watch is definitely one of the most unique products I've seen here this year. So, Duncan, you also, you, you've been tracking a company called General Mobile for a little while, and uh, we finally went to go and meet them and have a bit of a chat about their product, and we, we witnessed their product launch today. They launched the new Android One GM6, and uh, yeah, there's. A, I don't want to steal your thunder. I've already stolen some of that. So uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about this and why this phone is so important to you. Um, yeah, so I first uh, became aware of General Mobile's when they launched their at the time GM5 and GM5 Plus, which was a 5.0 and a 5.5 inch Android One device, and I was taken by one. The, the fact that they looked really nice with all metal designs and you know really quite striking and 
two that they had fairly modern features. And so I started tracking them from some time ago. I've actually been in a little bit of communication with them just about their devices and whether or not they're looking at coming into our market. And like all companies are, they'd be interested in expanding into any market. It comes down to how easy it is um, and you know those sorts of things. But you know, I wanted to go along and have a look. Um, you know, it's long been a, a thing of mine that consumers at the lower end of the market, even the mid end of the market, aren't guaranteed safe and secure um, phones. You go and buy yourself. A, uh, let's not call out any particular names, but let's you know, say you buy a, a mid-priced phone. The likelihood is you won't get security updates monthly. In fact, I can almost guarantee you of that by one or two providers, uh, and you certainly won't be getting. Um, the, the the version updates for two years and security updates for three years. That's what Android One offers. Um, so when I heard that they were launching this new device, um, I definitely wanted to go along and, you know, I was really impressed with it. Uh, it looks like a fairly standard device, you know, there's, there's nothing particularly outstanding about it, but we've all been discussing for the last couple of days how there's nothing outstanding particularly about any of the devices. It's true, but I think at the same time it's worth actually taking note of, as, as, as I've, been, uh, I've been saying about, about this, these phones, it's, uh, I've been calling the GM6, it's a modern Android One device. It's, this, this, these phones in this program has come so far since uh, I think it was two or three years ago that Android One was launched with what really ultimately are, by today's standards, shit boxes. Yep. There were tiny phones with tiny screens with low resolution. Here we are. This is it's a quad core CPU. It's not an octa core CPU, but it's good enough. It's a I'm pretty sure it's a 1080p screen or was it was it seven? No, no, it was 720. It was 720. But it's a five inch screen. It's got a fingerprint reader on it. It's got three gigabytes of RAM, a quad core processor. This this is very much the the epitome of good enough. And like it doesn't it. I mean, we've been we've been banging on about the Moto G5 uh, for the last couple of nights, but that's very much an upper mid-range phone compared to this. But this is this definitely fits in the mid-range, and it's got a very low price attached to the hardware as well. And I think I think it really makes quite a compelling quite a compelling story that this is where Android One is now, Mm -hmm. and you can go out and buy a phone that actually does meet all of those criteria that you that you were saying before. Like you can get a cheap phone with good enough hardware and security. Yeah, and just to clarify what Android One really is, Android One isn't Android for cheap phones. It isn't stripped down Android for low powered phones. Android One was a program that allowed Google to say, uh, here is all of the, the bits and bobs that you can put in a phone that we will support to completely and totally manage the software for you. So if you build a device and just excuse our neighbours. Yeah, and our um, neighbours are having a little bit of a... Look, our neighbours feel very strongly about Android One, um, yeah. so they are chiming in in the background. I feel it was positive, uh, their commentary. Um, so, yeah, this it may have started on lower-end devices, but clearly, as time has gone on, Google has expanded the range of, uh, you know, uh, chips and RAM and all the things that can go in there that allows a device like this with fairly decent specs to till, still have the software completely handled by Google um, and then be be updated. Uh, I'm still waiting to get information back about how long it'll be updated for, but the previous Android ones did have a guarantee for several years. And at this end of the market, you just can't ask for more than that in the current climate. And so yeah, I just think it's super exciting and I actually would love to see 
Android One come to Australia. If not this device, Android One on another device, because you're going to get that guaranteed hardware. But you know, this is a great plucky little company. I, I do think it's a shame that Android One is not in Australia because I feel like there's such a gap in the market. We have some, we have a few low cost vendors who uh, fail utterly on the updates and security front, and I'd really like to see that come to a halt. I, I, I don't understand. Unless there's some reluctance from Google in order to do it, I don't understand why people aren't going out and getting more, you know, getting into the Android One in our country. Agreed. We heard, we heard today that it's in Japan as well. Yes. So um, there's we there was a Googler uh, there on stage who um, was part part of the presentation and you know just discussed the device and the program, and he mentioned to us when we went and uh, spoke with him uh, afterwards just about Android One and where it's headed that um, the devices are already in Japan from an Android One perspective. So that's a pretty big market mm. to have Android One in. It really does bode well for a potential growth outside the markets. And I can see a benefit to Google. That you know, the Google Play program didn't really work. Nexus isn't really going uh, any, anywhere at the moment. The pixel's too high. Android Silver was never a thing, apparently. So I could imagine a, a program based on Android One for the developed world where they control the software for a limited number of pieces of hardware and help fix the fragmentation issue that's perceived in Android, but more importantly, push monthly security updates to the entire Android e ecosystem from the $189 all the way up to the $1,400 pixel. Yeah. So that's been uh, day two of Mobile World Congress. And Day three tomorrow, uh, you guys are leaving me, so I'm not entirely sure what we'll do for podcasting tomorrow night. Might try to get someone on and do a bit of a look back. There's there's a, there's a number of Australian journos around, uh, so we will uh, we'll see. We might just get some get some beers and sit down and <laughs> sit down and have have a, a bit of a uh, bit of a chat with a live microphone and see what happens. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening, and um, it's been fun doing these doing these nightly records. Uh, it it's been quite taxing sometimes, but um, I've enjoyed it. So this, let's look at doing it. This one recorded future. at eight o'clock at night was by far my favourite to the ones recorded at eleven thirty at night. You, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, and we will try to bring you a final episode tomorrow night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.